Thank you, worship leaders and the choir, for leading us in great songs this morning. That song is uh, becoming a favorite of mine, particularly that uh, last verse there, Two Wonders, Now That I Confess My Worth and My Unworthiness. My value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Good words. Well, today is the last Sunday that I will open God's Word with you as one of your pastors and teachers among you. Don't worry, next Sunday we will be here as well, but I'll just be as one of you uh, sitting under the preaching of God's Word, not uh, behind this pulpit. So next week, we'll just get to worship, and we'll come to church actually with our car packed, have lunch with you, and then we're on the road to Chicago. Um, And so we won't drive straight through. It's about 20 hours or so, but we'll drive to Denton, spend some time with Aaron's family, and then uh, make the journey uh, the day after that to Kansas City and have a night there, uh, have a little bit of fun. Uh, with our kids, um, and then uh, from there, then drive to my parents' house in southern Wisconsin and spend a little time with them, and then move into our apartment in Chicago and uh, begin training at the Church Planting Training Center uh, two weeks from today, and uh, have then 14 weeks of training and and all that, and then, uh, then, Lord willing, in uh, God's grace, we'll be back uh, nearby here to you, not uh, here in Kerrville, but uh, in New Braunfels. And so that's our prayer, and so we'd really appreciate your prayers as we begin this journey. But uh, something that is ingrained here into the DNA of Kerrville Bible Church is missions, right? This priority of the gospel and telling as many people with boldness as possible as we can about this good news If you didn't know that this was ingrained in the DNA, hopefully you did, just based on the last few weeks among us. We've had two missionaries the last two weeks come and open God's word with us, give us updates on what they're doing in their corner of the world. Earlier this summer, we had the Scarboroughs here. This morning, we heard uh, just a brief thing from Chris Berger. Pastor Chris and I went to visit Chris Berger, and so a huge emphasis just on missions. You know how much we give to missions. 33 cents of every dollar that you just put in the offering plate is going to support missionaries and people who are taking the gospel around the globe. It's something like $230,000 this next year we will send out into the harvest. We've just planted not long ago Grace Bible Church of Bernie and sent out people among us to go and do that. And uh, we as well, along with the Mosses, being sent out to uh, plant this church as well. Big emphasis on the mission board meeting and uh, missions and serving on the mission board. Many of you uh, hopefully attended that on Thursday night and are considering being involved. But all that to say is that missions is a huge part of what we do here, isn't it? It's ingrained into our DNA. And so when I was thinking of a, of a topic to preach on for this final Sunday, that's where this passage in Matthew 9 came to mind. First, because it's ingrained here in KBC, but also it's a passage that has gripped both Aaron and I in the course of our lives. So what could be more appropriate? What could be more appropriate? So turn, if you haven't, to Matthew chapter 9. The focus of our attention this morning is going to be just on these four verses, 
35 to 38. But before I read it, I need to lay out the context for you. Context is key, right? You should be wary if a preacher just turns to a verse and preaches that without giving you the context in which it sets. We need to look at these things. And so Matthew, if you are unfamiliar with it, Matthew begins with genealogy, begins with a lot of names. It begins with showing how Jesus comes from this line from the Old Testament, beginning with whom? Whom does it begin with? From the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And so going back to Abraham and laying out this genealogy, we have Jesus' birth, we have John the Baptist, and uh, all these Old Testament prophecies that are now fulfilled and that are being, have been fulfilled as Matthew is writing it. Chapters 5 to 7, none are probably familiar to as well as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus teaching and instructions to these believers then how to live a gospel-filled, a grace-filled life now as in with Christ here and in this new covenant. Chapter 8 then begins with a lot of miracles, signs and wonders happening, people healed, sick uh, being cured, the blind able to see this, this, this attestation, this witness to the message that Christ is bringing. That the gospel of the kingdom is here and it offers the kingdom, but then uh, it's eventually rejected. Jewish people don't want a part of it. They reject the king. They want him to come as this majestic ruler. And so then uh, it's rejected. And then Jesus continues on with his teaching for the rest of his earthly life to those without ears to hear to, uh, in parables so they can't hear it and those with ears to hear so they can understand the message. And so more and more teaching. But in the midst of this, in the midst of, of, of Matthew uh, 9 and 10, before the offer of the kingdom has come, is there's the passage that we find here, this commissioning of the apostles or the disciples, the 12 uh, disciples that would become his apostles and then uh, continue in other uh, uh, disciples. And so this is where we find ourselves here. This is where we are this morning in this passage that is maybe familiar to you. And so I want to read it for us. Look here at Matthew 9, 35 to 38. Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Jesus is getting busy, isn't he? He's doing work. Verse 36 then, seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. And so, as I said, this passage begins here with Jesus busy. He's steeped in ministry and he knows that he is about to depart. It said he's going to all the cities, all the villages, healing all kinds of things, all this inclusive, this this all encompassing language, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing. Jesus is knee deep in ministry. And now he knows he sees this. He sees the people. He knows and sees the spiritual condition of the people as he's traveled around to these cities. And he knows I've got to equip these disciples, these saints, for the work 
of the ministry. And so he uses two agricultural metaphors, something that would be very abundant, uh, illustrations that would be very common for them to see, using this, these examples of life on the farm. You have stock farmers and you have crop farmers, right? You have ranchers and you have crop farmers. Some are uh, into both. Others only see, uh, just invest their time into one or the other. But Jesus used both of these for the equipping of the saints, for the equipping of his disciples. He comes, he does this ministry, he sees the people, he sees that there is work to be done, there is a harvest to be had. And he then gives five compelling reasons to give your life to the harvest. Lord, in my life, this is five compelling reasons to plant a church. (laughs) These are verses, like I said, that are deep conviction in my own life and in Aaron's life. But five compelling reasons to give your life to the harvest. And in verse 36 is reason number one, because the sheep are hurting. Here, this is this is both uh, uh, Jesus seeing the spiritual condition of the people, but also then as a key motivation for the workers to get busy, for farmers to be about their work, for shepherds to be going after their sheep. He sees the people, and what is what, how is his heart turned as he views the people around him? He isn't looking at the disciples. He has in mind here the people that he has seen in the cities. How is his heart tugged? But it's moved to compassion. It's moved to compassion because he sees that these sheep are distressed and dispirited. The ESV and NIV, I think, uh, capture this greater. It says that they are harassed and helpless. They're being persecuted. They're, they're, they're hurting and they can't do anything about it. Isn't that a great way to describe the world around us that is unsaved and unbelieving? They are harassed and harangued from every uh, angle. And they can't do anything about it. Because they're lost in their sin. Because they don't know Christ. Because they don't know the good news of Jesus. All they know is the chaos and harassment and dispirit of, of this world. I mean, turn on the news. What, what can you be but dispirited and distressed, right? I mean, watch it for five minutes and you think, oh my goodness, what type of world do we live in? We may think that this is something new. We may look back to a golden age in in our country or some other country, but this has always been the case. People without Christ, if you are without Christ here today, you are harassed and helpless. You are dispirited and distressed. can do nothing about it. Lost and perishing. But with Christ... With the gospel, that is not the case. The helper has come. Amen? The helper has come. And that's the beauty of the gospel. That is the good news. And so we can't continue on with our passage without explaining first the gospel. That I have to make known the mystery of the gospel with boldness as I ought to speak. And so the good news of the gospel is if, if you are found in sin... If you are controlled by your sin, 
which all of us were. All of us, uh, all of us at one point were. We were born into this world that way with a big problem that we could not fix. But Christ knew that. God the Father knew that and so sent his son Jesus to do what we could not do and live a perfect life that pleased God. Because, see, we can't please God. And so apart from Christ, all we do is offend God. And even if you offend him once, that's enough to condemn you. So what Christ did was fix that problem and live the life and take the consequences for his sheep that we deserved. And he took it upon his back. He took the wrath of God. He bore the weight for our sin. And God was satisfied with that. God was pleased with that. That's what fixed the problem. And so then our right response, when our eyes are opened to the the greatness of our sin and the offense against this holy God, And the good news in Christ is then we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Christ, saying it is only in you. I know I'm helpless, and so my only help is in you, Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. And we continue to live in God's grace and mercy and in his keeping for the remainder of our days. This is the good news. This is the gospel of the kingdom that Christ was coming to, repeat, uh, to, to preach. He was preaching repentance. He was preaching faith in him. This is what he was doing. And this is what he saw that a world around him did not know. And so we are motivated. This is a reason for us to give ourselves to the gospel because there are lost and perishing souls among us. This is, this is what's interesting is because these two metaphors are also something that, that Christ will use and that the scripture as a whole uses to warn of judgment. That there is a time when, when God will separate the sheep from the goats, right? There is a harvest coming when the wheat will be separated from the chaff. And so as we think of what is to come, we know of the harvest that is to come. We know of the separation of the sheep and the goats. This motivates us. This motivates us to compassion for the people around us. This motivates us to compassion for the people of this world. Because the second, the second compelling reason that he gives, not only are the sheep around us hurting, he tells us that the crops are abundant. How does he begin? Verse 37 says he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful. You know, you may like me, you've maybe read many uh, statistics. You get those emails from the Pew Research, from other things. And there's all these stats. Mission agencies send these out. But there's all kinds of stats on unreached people groups, right? Are you familiar with that term? Unreached people groups, those that don't have the gospel. Or maybe unengaged people groups, those that uh, have not been engaged with it. Or groups of people that less than 2% are, are Christians. And so there's all kinds of stats. I just looked a few up. The Joshua Project, which looks at these things, they say that there are a total in the world of 16,517 people groups as a whole. And everybody defines people groups differently. You know, it's basically you look like each other, you talk like each other, and you do similar things together. That's a people group, okay? And so they have said that there's 16,500 and some, and they say that there are 6,688 unreached people groups. And so that's a big portion here. That translates to there's approximately 7.3 billion people in the world. And so that means there are 3.12 billion people that are unreached with the gospel. 
The IMB, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention, they have different numbers. There's 11,500 people groups and only 3,000 of those are unreached. Okay? So there's lots of stats. It depends upon who you ask and what criterion they use. But we get the picture, right? There are a lot of people in the world, and there are a lot of people that don't know the gospel, right? That don't know Christ. On the flip side, we also hear lots of statistics as well about the numbers of people being saved. Not just those that aren't saved, that don't have the gospel, but those that are responding to the gospel. And there's just all kinds of numbers. I don't even know how they begin to put all these things together or just how accurate they are. Only the Lord knows those things. But there's statistics like 10,000 people in Asia are saved every day and thousands in in South America, Africa, India. Um, You know, the Lord knows those things. And I think it's pretty uh, interesting because Jesus sums up all those statistics, all the numbers pretty well here when he says the harvest is plentiful right regardless of what the numbers are there is work to be done the sheep are out there the sheep exist there are people who yet need to hear all around the world and here in our midst as well we have the harvest is plentiful here at Kerbal Bible Church, right? We just heard last week at our annual meeting, there's like 92 children in the home, right? That's a big number. Praise the Lord for those children, right? But that's a huge harvest. How many of those kids have not responded to the gospel? How many of those kids are saved or unsaved? And so we have a great harvest and there are whiteboards filled with positions out there for you to take the gospel to those children and to be a part of it. There are opportunities all around here in Kerrville, in our church, in the state of Texas and beyond. Because our third compelling reason here, we know that the harvest is plentiful. We know that there is work to be done. But the third compelling reason is that the job opportunities are just as abundant. There are abundance of crops and there are abundance of opportunities because the workers are few. It's a big field out there and not enough people to do it. This is a common uh, lament in the workforce, right? There are few workers and there are few good workers anymore, right? If you own your own business, if you're trying to hire people, you've probably lamented this. My own family owns a greenhouse business in Wisconsin, and it has been a common lament of my dad since I can remember about finding good, hardworking help. But it's also a common lament in the church. The 80-20 rule exists, right? All all over that 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And so the workers are few. And the excuses abound for this, right? We know that there's work, and none of us can uh, say that we are unaware that the harvest is out there, that there is work to be done with the gospel. But we come up with all kinds of excuses why we cannot, right? If we're younger and have kids in school and you're working and you have practice and all that stuff, you may say, well, I don't have time. Maybe you're older and you don't have quite the, uh, the bounce in your step. And you say, well, I don't have the energy anymore. Well, I would just plead with you is that you have the time and the energy to invest in what is most important to you. And what could be more important than taking the gospel? What could have more eternal value than investing in to the harvest? But instead, we value temporary toys over eternal joys. Why is that? Say, well, oh, I, I, I work hard. But are you working hard at what is eternal? Are you investing your life in that which won't rot or, or fade away or deteriorate? 
Are you investing and working hard of something of lesser value? Because, see, let me tell you what is of, of priority here. Let me tell you what is of, of, a, of, of greatest importance. It is what we are here as the church. And I don't mean the four walls. I don't mean the building. I mean the, the gathered body of people. This is what and only what Christ has promised to build. He has promised to build up the church, not to make our building taller or wider or more beautiful, but he has promised to build up his people, his gathered people for his worship and for his work across the globe. He has promised to be a part of that. And so if you, you may be giving your time and your resources and your things to things that are of, of some value, but are you given more or equally to that which is of greatest value? That which is of greatest value. And, I, I, you know, we're involved in parachurches. You know, we, we have one and all these things. But our greatest and, and most important investment can always be right here. We need to make sure that the church... The church at large, not just KBC even, but the church global, the churches that we support, the churches that we are involved in, have their needs met, that we are investing first into this work and then with what is left into others. Are you investing here? Are you working hard in the gospel? The workers are few. Will you be one of the few that does the much? For the benefit of the many. Will you be one of the few who does the much for the benefit of the many? That's what Christ is calling us to hear. That is what he is calling out of compassion for the people. He is calling us to, he is compelling us out of compassion for hurting people. Where the crops are abundant, the harvest is abundant. He is calling his workers to step up to get to work, to roll up their sleeves, and to be a part of the work that he is doing. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Because, see, here's what happens when you do invest in this. Here's what happens when you are hard at work in the harvest, when you are hard at work in the shepherding work of the gospel. But the fourth compelling reason here in verse 38 is that it yields more prayer. It yields more prayer. Every farmer is about the yield, right? Every farmer is about uh, getting more crops, more produce per plant per acre, right? You want more bushels at the end when it's time to harvest. And so by giving yourself to the harvest, this is going to increase your prayers. I can guarantee that the ministry leaders here and within us, among Kerrville Bible Church here, who have a bunch of names on those whiteboards, that they are praying more now that God would compel people to fill those spots. But this yields more prayer. We are to, what does he say, beseech the Lord of the harvest. We're to pray and ask God to fix this problem, to remedy this, this great harvest and the few workers. And so we need to pray for this. We should be specifically praying that people would leave our church. Not for bad reasons, not because they're mad, but because we're sending them out into the harvest. You as a parent and a grandparent should be praying that your kids would be workers in the harvest. Even if that means that they are... Sent across the globe. 
We should be praying that God would do this. This is, I, I, I was just thinking of this as I was, as I was praying in my own way and, and in my own life, just thinking of my poor mom. I mean, all my life she's been praying that I would be a pastor. She's encouraging that in, in her life. And I don't think that she probably had in mind that I would be sent to Texas, right there in Wisconsin. And so she counted the cost. She prayed the prayer. I think she probably hoped that I would just be a pastor there in Belmont, you know, just down the street or something. You can pray for her as she uh, and, and my whole family, my dad and everybody as well, as we've been sent into a different field. And that's okay because it's worth it. It's worth it. It is absolutely worth it. But we should be praying for these. We should be praying for more missionaries. We should be praying that that God would send up uh, people from among us, people from among our families, those that we know, that they would be sent out, maybe into new harvests or those that could go and help some people. I'll tell you what, Chris Berger could use some great friends. He could use uh, some other workers in the harvest there of Oaxaca, Mexico. We should be praying for these things. But here, I'll give you a warning. Watch out for when you pray this, God may be sending you. He may be sending you. He just might answer your prayers. And this church has, has been great at this. We've been, we, we give, we love missions. It's a part of our DNA. And God is answering those prayers. Just in Grace Bible Church going, us going here. And so, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for praying for us. Thank you for continuing to pray. Thank you for all those who've been in this church for many years, praying for missions, praying for missionaries, praying for prayers like this, that God would send out workers into the harvest because they are being answered and will continue to be answered. Because this is the fifth compelling reason. How does it end here? Whose harvest is this? The harvest is certain because we are asking God to send out workers into his harvest. His harvest, not our own. And so this is, he's he's the master of this. He's the Lord. He is the superintendent over this harvest. And so this cannot fail. These prayers cannot fail. Workers who go into the harvest, who are sent out by God, who are sent out by a church and supported by a church, they cannot fail. They may not have all the statistics and the numbers and the the, uh, percentages of growth that you may think or that somebody has come up with arbitrarily, but it cannot fail when people are in the harvest for the right reasons, with a compassion for hurting people, proclaiming the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ. It cannot fail. You are investing in an assure, assure return. You will harvest. The yield will be great. So why wouldn't you? Why would you not? What could be more worth your time and energy and investment? What compares? What, what other harvest could you give to? What other work could you devote yourself into? And thank God that he does this. Thank God that he sends workers and that his harvest is sure. Because consider this. Your evidence of that it's his harvest because you're sitting here if you're a Christian today. Consider this. You at one point were a harassed and helpless sheep. 
If somebody prayed, you may know who, you may not know who, and God sent a worker into the harvest where you were planted, where you were growing up in whatever, whatever circumstance of life you were in. And God sent a worker, and they were faithful with the gospel, and they shared it with you, and your eyes were opened. You saw the depth of your sin, and the greatness, and the glory of Christ, and the offer of salvation, and you believed. Praise God for whoever that person was in your life, whether it was a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a Sunday school teacher, a pastor, a neighbor, whoever it was. Praise God for that person and continue on with the harvest. Don't let the field stop at you. Is there a dead field after you in the family tree? Is there a dead branch after you or is it continuing to flourish in the great family tree of God? Here's a great story. As we were coming back from, uh, uh, from Oaxaca, I had this long like six-hour drive one afternoon down the bumpy roads of, of southern Mexico going from Huxlaca to Oaxaca. It's only 140 miles, but it took us six hours to get there. And we were just talking with Chris Berger, and he began to share his testimony. Chris Berger, he, where he grew up, was in the projects of southern Ohio, Hard life. Stepdad who is abusive. Just to, his life was characterized by violence and anger and drug abuse and all kinds of things. And an uncle decided to take him to church. Like an eight-year-old boy. Where he heard the gospel. And then as a, after, some point after that, then God sent out this backyard Bible club from this local small little uh, Baptist church that came out to get him and, and, and would do these Bible study things with him and then bring him to church. They would go and they would get him. Just some little church in southern Ohio. And now look what has happened. The harvest was certain. The workers were sent out. He was plucked out. This sheep was, was helped in Christ, Chris Berger, and now he is taking the gospel to these people in southern Mexico. Who knows what kids could be in Arawana? Who knows what kids could sit in our Sunday schools, in our youth groups? Who knows what women will come to our Bible studies or our men will come to our men's studies or what people will come to a Sunday morning or who God will move into that house that's for sale down your street. Who knows? And you are being sent out to that harvest. You are being sent out to work among these people. The harvest is certain. The harvest is is sure and absolute. And he is calling you to be a part of it. Yes, there's a great cost. Yes, there are many dangers, aren't there? So chapter 10 is about. Chapter 10, Jesus warns the disciples. Here he commissions them. Here he tells them he has compassion. He says, all right, guys, I'm sending you out. And in chapter 10, then he summons his 12 and he gives them authority and he, he tells us his name and then he sends them out instructing them what it's going to be like. And he lists out many costs and many dangers. He takes on in verse 8 what we might call the American dream. It says, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. Freely you receive, freely give. Do not acquire gold or silver or copper for your money belts or a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff for the worker is worthy of his support. That's a great cost. You're giving up everything. You're giving up all your own financial situation. 
He says there's a great cost. You might be fear of, uh, afraid of men. Verse 17, he's saying, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. This is going to be dangerous. There's going to, you're going to be afraid of people who are going to want to attack you, others who are going to make fun of you. In verse 28, he says, this is of chapter 10, do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul. What lasts forever, friends? What is temporary and what is eternal? But rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear these things. False teachers are going to come out. False teachers are going to come and and try to uh, distract from your message. Saying there's a great cost in your family. Verse 37. Got to give this up. It's dangerous to idolize our families. You love your mom, your dad more than me. You're not worthy of me. You love your kids more than God. Yeah, it's going to cost a lot of your kids. It's going to cost a lot. But it's worth it. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who has lost his life meaning all your dreams and aspirations of your own success, your own gain. He who has given up those things for my sake will actually find it. The purpose that you're wanting in your life, how you want your life to count, will only be found in what is eternal. Will only be found in what is, what is going to last forever. The great worth of the gospel. My worth is not in what I own, but in what Christ has done and the glory and the treasure of the gospel that if you are a believer, you have received and now are to be a steward and a servant of, not a protector and a hider and a, and a keeper from all others. But if freely you've received, freely you have given. Don't let these lures of the world, these pests and predators, diseases, wolves, weather, evildoers, threaten the harvest that God may be calling you to. This is what we're all called to do. And so this isn't to, this isn't to beat you over the head with it, but it is to follow the command of Christ. What field is God calling you to harvest in? Where are you to work? Where are you to harvest? Is it here at KBC? That's great. Is your name on one of the whiteboards? Is your name on one of the lists? Are you serving and actively a part of the gospel ministry that God has given this church and entrusted with this church in this city among these families and those that he will bring to us? Is he calling you to go to Bernie, to Grace Bible Church there? Have you been compelled to go but afraid because you don't know what? Well, go. Are you called to come with us? Go to New Braunfels, I pray. I'm praying for you that you will. This has been a prayer of mine since God has said to Aaron and I, you're to go. I've been beseeching the Lord of the harvest that he would send out workers into his harvest in that city with us. Can't do it alone. It's a big field. Many people are moving there. If you're in the situation to do so, would you? Would you come with us? Maybe not there. Maybe God's calling you to partner with a missionary that we serve. 
to go overseas, to be, to live in one of the countries that are represented by those flags there, to go with one of our families there. Maybe you can't go. Maybe it's just that you need to pray. Maybe you're, that's, that's not feasible. And that's, there's legitimate reason for that. I'm not saying that it's for everybody. But you either go or you send or you disobey. That's what John Piper says. So you can pray. Pray that God would send you or others. But pray for God to send or give so others can go. Or go and give of yourself. That's what we do. What is the harvest? Maybe I, there's the, the harvest is plentiful, right? <laughs> These are just a few options. But are you working in the harvest? Are you investing in this? Are you among the sheep that God is calling out and calling to himself and you doing the work? Seeing the people, he felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. And Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. Let's pray. God, that is what we are beseeching you now. We are beseeching you to send us that we would be a part of this work. God, what could be more worth it? What could compare to what we could give our lives to than this? God, help us to count the cost. Let us consider our own lives compared to the eternal joy, not only in our own life, but in the lives of those that you entrust to us and in our own kids' lives. That the giving up of material things, temporary toys, is worth it to follow you. Would you work in our hearts in that way? the gospel be so compelling to us today. Our hearts be filled with compassion for those that are perishing. Thank you, God, for your goodness and your mercy and your kindness to us. You are great. You are worthy to be praised. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.